0: I know that people have been very, very faithful, and you have been very faithful, those of you who are joining us for the live stream uh, over these past 15, 16 weeks, you've been with us, and we really, really appreciate that, and uh, made it worthwhile actually doing that. I know that a lot of numbers of you have been watching, and not all of them from the church, in fact, most of them not from the church, actually, lots, and we really appreciate you tuning in this morning as well. So we want to get into the Word of God uh, immediately. So I'm going to be looking into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Pontius Pilate had never met anyone quite like Jesus ever before. Being the Roman governor for that part of Palestine, he saw many prisoners come to his court, but none were like Jesus. No doubt he knew much about Jesus because remember now, in a few hours' time, Jesus is going to be crucified, so he's been on ministry for about three and a half years. And uh, there was a very popular period in his ministry where multitudes followed him, But now it's come to the place where there's much opposition and it's come to a a fever pitch uh, where the religious hierarchy uh, have put him on trial and want him to be be executed. And so Pilate probably knew much about Jesus because he was a household name. And being a a Roman governor, he'd keep his ear to the ground. And he knew about the tensions that was happening now between Jesus and the, the religious Uh, people. And so he would be somewhat concerned about that. But however, as far as Pilate was concerned, Jesus would just be another pseudo-Jewish Messiah. And from time to time, these would pop up and they would cause a stir among the populace. And then often, just as quickly as they rose up, they disappeared. They went into obscurity. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. For three and a half years, he ministered on earth. And for three and a half years, the people knew him. They saw him. And the poor people especially, they loved him very, very much. He blessed them so many times. But here right now, standing in front of Pilate, amidst all the the bang for blood from these religious Jews, here stood before him this mild-mannered, soft-spoken Galilean, Jesus of Nazareth. And the one thing that that Pilate must have noticed immediately was there was no fear in the eyes of Jesus. Any, Any prisoner standing before Pilate had every right to be frightened because he was known as a brittle and callous and cruel man who would have no qualms whatsoever about executing any prisoner for any reason. So any prisoner standing before this man would be shaking in his sandals, but not Jesus. And Pilate noticed that. And and in fact, at one point, when he was examining him, he said to Jesus, do you not know that I have the power to take your life? And and technically and legally, he had that power. He had the Roman power of the sword. I mean, he was the governor. He, He could choose who would live and who would die. And Jesus just calmly said to him, you would have no power over me at all except it was given you from above. He had never, ever seen a prisoner like this. In fact, at one point also, when all these accusations against Jesus were flying about, Jesus didn't say anything. And he says, do you not hear what they're saying? Are you not listening? Have you nothing to say in your defense? And Jesus said, not a word, nothing. And, and then Pilate remembered that Herod was in town, he was in Jerusalem, and Jesus being a Galilean, he knew that was Herod's jurisdiction. And so he thought he would, he would fob him off to Herod, he would pass the buck, because he really didn't want to deal with this. Uh, and he went, sent him to Herod, and, and Herod was a cruel, wicked puppet king. And, and Herod was asking Jesus many questions but Jesus answered him, not a word. Not one word that he speak to him. And that reminds us of the prophetic scripture in Isaiah 53 uh, in, in verse 7. Uh, and, and how that it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Not a word. Now, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He had broken no Roman laws. And (laughs) regarding all these Jewish, uh, religious, obscure laws, he cared not one jot about them. That was none of his business. He had broken no Roman laws, so as far as he was concerned, he was innocent. In fact, his wife, the night before, had a dream saying, have nothing to do with that just man. But, so he just stood there. Try in some way to procreate the crowd because he knew this man was innocent. But Jesus just stood there and said nothing. And then in the midst of this examination, Jesus said something to Pilate, which Pilate just could not understand, couldn't even grasp really what he was saying. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now the only kingdom that Pilate knew was the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire. I mean, all he knew was, as a soldier, as a politician, as a governor, as a Roman, was the Roman kingdom. I mean, he just didn't recognize any other kingdom on earth. I mean, the Rome had subjugated most of them anyway. So all his life, the thought of kingdom was Rome. That's all he could think about. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And that must have been sounding very mysterious to Pilate. it. His kingdom? Not of this world. There only is one kingdom. And I'm part of it here. I'm the governor here. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And you know, that was an enigmatic statement, even to Jesus' disciples, because they had in their own minds what the Messianic kingdom would look like. You know, when Jesus would, would set it up, uh, you know, he would roll with a rod of iron. Uh, and all these Roman conquerors and occupiers would be kicked out of the land and Israel would be the leading nation of all of the nations and they would sit on thrones beside Jesus who is the Messiah and when his kingdom was set up they would sit on thrones beside him. That's what their thinking was. In fact, James and John's mother said, Master, c- could you not let my two sons sit in your right hand and on your left when you come into the kingdom? So, so that was their mindset. That was their worldview. Totally different than Rome's but completely different than Jesus also. Jesus says, no, my my kingdom's not of this world. It's not of this world. So here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with the, the secret of supreme happiness. For that's what the word blessed really means, supremely happy, joyously happy. And it was a word then that was used to describe the blessedness, the bliss, the joyous happiness that only the gods could attain to, but not mere mortals like them. I mean, they could only wish, but they never could attain this bliss, this true blessedness that was talked about. But Jesus then begins to talk about it. Now, if if you had a clipboard and you went into the middle of your town on a busy Saturday, say, just stopping people walking past with a questionnaire, and say your question was to them out there, just anybody, say your question was, can I ask you, what was the most blessed thing in your life? What was the most blissful time in your life? I suppose you'd get lots and lots of different answers. But I don't think you'd get the answers that are written here. I don't think anybody would say say to you, well, my most blessed moment was when I realized I was poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means that you realize your your emptiness, your, your emptiness of spirit in front of a holy God. Your lack of spirituality in front of a holy God, I don't think anybody would say that, would they? I don't think they would say, well, that was my most blessed time when I realized that. Or my most blessed moment was when I, when I mourned. That's not talking about if a loved one dies and you naturally mourn, it's talking about mourning for sin mourning for the state of the world because of sin, mourning for the state of the nation, mourning for the state of your family, mourning for the state of yourself because of what sin has done and the, and the disruption and, and the ruination and the pain and the anguish that sin has caused and you mourn for that. Jesus said you're blessed when you do that. You're really blessed because most people doesn't do that. They don't really understand that. Or... Who's going to say, when, whenever I'm persecuted for righteousness' sake, when people send all kinds of things evil against me falsely for Christ's sake, I'm really truly blessed? Apart from the world out there not saying that, actually most Christians wouldn't even say that. Because we don't think of being blessed if people's talking about us, or people's coming against us, or people's being horrible, or threatening, or persecuting. We don't think that's a blessed moment. As far as God is, it is, we're actually blessed when that happens. He sees that's a blessing to us. See, it's a very, very different kingdom that we belong to. Entirely different. And this is the manifesto of the kingdom. You and I are subjects of this kingdom. You know, for anybody that travels and you go to another country, you realize very quickly that you're under a different jurisdiction. Different rules apply. Different customs, different culture, different legal things, different monetary system, different political system. It's all different. And you realize, well, if I'm going to spend a little bit of time in this country, even on a holiday, or I'm just transiting through it, I better remember this is not my country, these are not my rules, so I better behave myself. Different rules apply here. And the kingdom of God has got different rules, different principles, different laws apply. And so we need to remember that. These are the rules that govern our lives and they're very different than this present world that we live in. Uh, these these be attitudes, or somebody called them the beautiful attitudes, uh, they take us to a different level entirely. Yeah. They lift us up to a new level. Yeah. The kingdom of God is entirely different than the kingdom of this world. Yeah. These things we have just read, these are the norm for the kingdom of God, but they're not the norm for this world. Sure they're not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And so we as ambassadors for the kingdom of God, these are our credentials. Now when Jesus stood before Pilate being persecuted for righteousness' sake, there was a meekness about Jesus. Now meekness is not weakness. Meekness is that strong inner ability on the inside to be able to take all of that And stand there and really not let that overcome you. And Jesus was meek. All the vitriol, all the hostility, all the cursing, all the stuff that was hurled at him, he just stood there. Such meekness. That was such strength. Now, of course, Rome, they don't think of meekness as strength. That's weakness to them. I mean, they're aggressive. Really strong, aggressive, you know. But... That's not the kingdom's way. The kingdom's way to be meek. So there's a meekness that came across Jesus when Pilate stood before Pilate. When those Roman soldiers, when they nailed Jesus into that cross, now these were executioners. They had executed hundreds of prisoners, literally hundreds. That was their daily job every day, crucifying people. But they never had seen anyone ever say to God, God, forgive these people for what they're doing to me. Forgive them. Those prisoners will be cursing them and railing against them and cursing against God, but not Jesus. There was a mercy that flowed from him. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. That's not my intention to elaborate on the Beatitudes today. That would take a whole series and For those of you who have been here many years, you know I've done that more than once. But it's just that phrase, a very different kingdom. And the Beatitudes is at the heart of this kingdom. These beautiful attitudes that we have in this kingdom. James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven. Can you imagine that? Two preachers. And they want to burn up the Samaritans. (laughs) Jesus nicknamed them Boanerge as Sons of Thunder, and they were Sons of Thunder too. There's maybe some still preachers around today who still want to burn people up too. I don't know, but they certainly did. But before Jesus had finished with them, John became the apostle of love. What a transformation. Different kingdom, you see. And Jesus said to them, he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. This is not what I'm about. This is not what my kingdom's about. Yes, you got offended for my sake because of these Martins, but I'm not offended. So why should you be? I don't want to burn them up. Why should you want to burn them up? It's not my kingdom. They don't do this. Remember Peter, whenever they came to arrest Jesus in the garden? And then that anger and fear and emotion and, the flesh rose up and he, he took out his sword and he had a big slash at one of the servants that came to arrest Jesus and he wanted to cut his head off and he missed and just cut his ear off instead. And Jesus bent down, picked it up and put it back in his ear and it was totally healed. I've often wondered what Malchus' servant, I wonder what he thought. I wonder how his life panned out after that. He'd never forget that. He'd come to arrest Jesus and Jesus healed him. I'd love to know that, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me to drink? Do you not know that this is supposed to happen? Put away your sword. That's not my kingdom. You know, Jesus said I could have called ten legions of angels to come to my assistance. But that wasn't his kingdom, was it? What says the law? This adulterous woman, what says the law? The law says she should be stoned. Everybody knew that. Jesus knew that. It's a different kingdom. So Jesus, you know, he bent down and he began to write in the dust. We don't know what he wrote, doesn't say. Could have been the commandments. Could have been their individual sins, those who were accusing the woman. And by the way, the adulterer should have been there too. The man should have been there, but he was probably one of their own. And as he wrote in the ground and looked at them, one by one by one, they all left. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? No man accused me, Lord. <laughs> he says, neither do I condemn you. Now he said. It's just a different kingdom. Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Don't ever do this ever again. Put this life behind you and live right. It's a different kingdom, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 21, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment." And whoever says to his brother, Rakah, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first. And go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Wow. That's strong, isn't it? Hmm? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. The mild, mannered, soft-spoken land, But whenever he needed to, he could speak strongly really strongly when he had to. What about this kingdom? The kingdom of God. Now I'm not going to differentiate between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going into the technicalities of that. It's not our subject. I'll just keep saying the kingdom of God So what is it like? First of all, it's invisible, not visible. Luke 17 and 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there. So it's not visible. It doesn't come with observation. One day it will be visible. One day everybody will see it. One day it will be material, visible, unmistakable, not hidden from anyone. But right now Jesus said, no, no, my, my kingdom does not come with observation. You know, one day it will, John 18, 36, Jesus answered Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would be delivered, should not be delivered unto the Jews. But now... My kingdom is not of this world. The implication is, not yet. One day, but not right now. Uh, Herschel Hobbes says that between Malachi and Matthew, there's 400 silent years. He says, there was plenty of Jewish writers who popularized the notion that a conquering military Messiah would come with pomp and power, but when the true Messiah came, He was interested in character, not conquest. He was more interested in men being salt, not soldiers. He was more interested in light, not legions. Different kingdom. Different kingdom. Even his disciples was thinking of a material kingdom and they wanted to be rulers in it. But he says, no, no. Right now that's not my kingdom. And so it's Invisible, it's not visible. The only, the only way this world will even get a glimpse of this kingdom is through us. It's the only way. Through our actions and our talk and our deeds and our lifestyle. That's when they will see something different. We're living different than this world around us. And they'll wonder why. Why is that? It's a different kingdom. It's internal, not external. Luke 17, 20, 21. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, saying, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. It's inward, not outward. It's internal, not external. You see, the Jews, the religious Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, it was all external with them. It wasn't internal, it was all what they did. It was all their laws, their regulations, how they did things. That's what counted with them. And if you didn't do those things they did, then you weren't part of the kingdom. But Jesus says, no. No, no, he says, no. It's internal. It's not external. And and in fact, in in Matthew 23, uh, let me just have a little look here. Matthew 23, and I'll read from verse... Uh, 23. "'Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel.' Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Which is totally untrue. They would have. Therefore... You are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Wow. Strong words, amen? Yeah. Really strong words. But what is he saying? He says, You're all external. He says, You have nothing on the inside, only corruption. You look all white and shiny on the outside. You know, the people whitewashed their tombs in those days, but inside was dead men's bones. And he says, that's what you're like. Spiritually, you're dead on the inside. You're full of corruption. But outside, you put on a big show. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom is internal, not external. It's inside, not outside. Such a difference, isn't there? Such a difference. Apostle Paul in Romans 14 you know, there was a, a, there was a debate going on within the church because the Romans were pagans. They got saved. They come out of the paganism. They come into the church. But they knew that the meat that was being bought in the marketplace, there was a good chance that that had already been offered up to idols in some temple because that's what they used to do. So when they came to the marketplace, they were wondering, now if I buy that meat, will that have already been offered unto idols? And if I buy it and eat it, Will I be partaking of that idol worship because I'm a Christian now? And so some of them had a conscience about that. That bothered them. But others didn't have a conscience. They says, Well, we don't follow idols anymore. We, we follow the one true living God. So it's only a piece of meat. So we can eat that. But then that caused tension between those who could eat and those who felt they couldn't eat. And it was the same with drinking wine those who could, those who couldn't. It's the same with observed in certain days, though he observed this day, though he wouldn't observe that day. So this, this was going on in the church and Paul got a little bit upset about that. And basically says, look, as far as the meat offered onto idols, he says, we, we don't believe in idols anymore. So he says, I can eat that. That wouldn't bother me. But if it bothered somebody who had a weaker conscience, he says, I wouldn't eat that in front of them because that might stumble them. They might think, well, if you can eat it, I can eat it. But wait a minute! I don't have a conscience about it. It doesn't bother me, but it bothers you. So if you eat it and it's bothering you against your conscience, it's going to be sin to you. You see. So here's what he said. In Matthew, sorry, in Romans fourteen seventeen, he says, "For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's internal, not external. All these things you're talking about is external." But it's internal, that's where it counts. You know, if you don't want to eat meat, that's external stuff. Don't get hung up on that. Think of what's on the inside. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you know, there's a lot of that in church today, the external, the internal. And you know, we fight and argue and get hung up about this, that, and the other. And a lot of it is just opinion. A lot of it's preference. But... I wouldn't do anything knowingly if I thought it would stumble my brother. Even though I could do it without any conscience whatsoever. But if I thought if it stumbles him or stumbles her, i will not do it in front of them. I won't stumble them for Christ's sake. That's walking in love, by the way. Does that. You make that sacrifice. And so, it's invisible. It's not visible. It's internal, not external. It is... Eternal, not temporal. Eternal, not temporal. Psalm 105, 13, it is an everlasting kingdom. Daniel 2, 44, it shall never be destroyed. Hebrews 12, 28, it cannot be shaken. And Jesus' great prayer in Matthew 6, he ends, verse 13, he ends by saying, For yours is the kingdom. And the power and the glory forever and forever. Amen. It's eternal. Kingdoms on earth come and kingdoms go. Empires come and empires go. We're walking on them. They're underneath the dust of our feet, many places. Gone forever. Never will return. But the kingdom of God is eternal. It's everlasting. It will never end. It's not going away. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much persecution comes against the people of God and the kingdom of God. It's not going away. It doesn't matter what the atheists say against it on television and write in their books. It's not going away. And it doesn't matter how many people forsake it. Even as believers who walk away from it and backslide, it's still not going to go away. It's always going to be here. It's eternal. And you and I are a part of something which is eternal. Everything in the life and the world is changing constantly. Opinions are changed, science is changed, astronomy changed, everything changes, but this book remains, the kingdom of God is eternal. It will not go away. And you and I are part of that great kingdom that's eternal. And that means that we will live forever and forever in God's eternal kingdom. Glory to God, amen. Aren't you glad you belong to something that's not shifting sand, that's not here today and gone tomorrow. What we have put our trust in will be forever. And time is just a tiny, tiny little part of it. Barely a little part of it. The rest of it is eternity of all eternities. And we will have a part in that. Glory to God. Isn't it wonderful that you and I today are part of God's great kingdom? You know, all of them will rise, all of them will fall. Even in my lifetime, I've seen nations come and nation go. Read your history books. Great empires, gone. Where is the Roman Empire? Where's the great Egyptian Empire? Where's the Syrian Empire? Where is all of that? Gone. Footnotes of history. But the kingdom of God is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And one day it will be visible. One day, earth will see it. And Jesus will be seated on his throne. And as I preached last week, one day every knee shall bow to him and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. This is the kingdom that we belong to. Those of you who are watching me today who are believers, this is the kingdom that you belong to. Aren't you glad that you belong to the kingdom of God? Aren't you glad that day when God opened up our eyes and we saw for the first time this wonderful, precious kingdom that we belong to? Aren't you glad that we live differently? And they you know, it's not easy. Nobody said it would be easy. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of grace to live out even these beatitudes. That's the manifesto of the kingdom. For us to live this way, we need the grace of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need His power. We need His wisdom. We need His courage. But aren't you glad that you're part of this? Amen. I'm glad I'm part yeah, of it. Right. Amen. Amen? Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your great kingdom. We thank you that your Son Jesus is King of kings and Lord of all lords, and that one day the whole earth will be subject to him and everyone will bow and confess to him. And we thank you, Lord, that we have done that. By your grace and your mercy, you brought us to that place. So we give you thanks today for your glorious kingdom thanking you that we're part and parcel of it, not just now, but forevermore, we give thanks to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So we hope to see you next week, God willing, all right, for whatever service. Let me say whatever service you chose this week, if you can stick to that next week, it'll suit you. If you can't, then that is no, because we're trying to get numbers right and space people out. It's worked well, so far it's worked well. And if you've been watching, if you want to tune in again next week to us, we would be delighted if you would join us for the service of 11:30, curvy Thank you for joining us.